going to read verses 9, 10, and 11. I'm not going to preach on them. Um, so if you got your Bibles, you can turn there. We're actually going to preach on 12 through 26, but I don't want to skip reading any of the book. Um, but if you remember, right, now you got to think back. This was three weeks ago that we last talked about the book of Acts. And we talked about um, them gathering together in the upper room and Jesus giving them the instructions. And we talked about what was the power that God was going to give them. What was it for and such, if you remember correctly, right? Uh, so that's where we were at. I'm going to read verses um, uh, 9, 10, and 11, and then we'll jump into uh, verses 12 through 26. And in case you were wondering, if you forget, the power that God gives us through the Holy Spirit is, and we read it in verse 8, to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The power God gives us is to share the gospel with everybody that we meet. Let's read. I am going to start in verse 9, like I said, but the real crux is that 12 through uh, 26 there. It reads, And after he had said these things, the he being Jesus, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons were there together and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in his ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living at Jerusalem, so that in their own language that field was called Hakodama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it and let another man take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they've put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to accompany this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven disciples. Let's talk about this real quick. Number one on your note sheets, seek God. Seek God. So let's set the stage, right? So Jesus spends 40 days on earth after his resurrection. A lot of that time is spent with his disciples giving some final instruction and such like that. He finally says, listen, I'm going. The Holy Spirit's coming. You will be my witnesses to the whole world. 
And then in the 9 through 11 there, we see him ascending into heaven. That's the stage that we find the 10, or the 11 disciples, excuse me, the 11 disciples plus a whole bunch of other people, right? We read there uh, in verse 15 that's about 120 people are gathered together, okay? That's the stage we find. And one of my favorite verses in this whole section is verse 14. These, all with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer. There's a couple things I want to uh, uh, point out in there. They were all with one mind. They were together with one mind. They were seeking God for the same reasons, for the same outcome. Church, you and I are supposed to be in the same thing. Now, I'm not standing up here and saying, listen, I know you all have your own... uh, trials, tribulations, struggles that you're walking through. I'm not saying that you should not be praying for those things. I am saying, though, that there's precedent set in Scripture that when we come together, i.e. on Wednesday night, at prayer meeting, and elsewhere, when you come together with a group of people, of believers, to be praying for the thing God put on the heart of the group and seek God for that. And they spend time together praying. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here. Most of you in here have a significant other or a close friend, something like that. Okay? How much time do you spend seeking God with them? Not about them. Not for them. With them. Intentionally. We're supposed to. I'm not pointing fingers because, quite frankly, I could be doing a far better job of that too. But the fact of the matter is that we are supposed to be seeking God together as a joint. Right? We all love to quote the, the, the scripture passage uh, in um, uh, Ecclesiastes, I think it is, right? Where two or more are gathered, or uh, uh, a cord of three strands is not easily broken, stuff like that. Right? And we're like, we need to pray together. And yet... Yeah, we're a bunch of strands, and we'll come together for prayer, but I've got something I want to pray about, and you've got something you want to pray about, and this person over here, and nobody's praying for the same things. That's not a cord. That's a bunch of strands still. That's those, you guys might remember this, right? The, like the bead doorways, right? That's what that is. How easy is it to get through one of those? Oh, wow, I'm now in the room, Okay. But when the rope is together, it's hard, it's tied, it's strong. It's not as easily broken. Again, I am not by any means saying that you shouldn't bring your requests before God. I'm not saying at prayer meeting you shouldn't bring the requests and such like that, right? I am saying that when we come together and we go, hey, this week, right, we're praying for, I'll I'll use a great example, and this is not poking at anybody who came to prayer meeting on Wednesday because you you did this, okay? We were praying together as one mind, right? This past Wednesday, though, I said, hey, God's put it on my heart as leader of this, let's pray for VBS. There was a bunch of other stuff in the world going on, in our lives and elsewhere, but let's pray for VBS, and boy, did we, and it was great. We are supposed to be of one mind, devoted as well to prayer, devoted to it. I tell people all the time, right, when something happens in my life, the first person I want to talk to about it is my wife, right? We, I, I was out at Walmart yesterday, 
and I saw something in the parking lot that's only going to happen at a Walmart. Right? And I went, i got to tell Maddie about that. She's going to think it's hilarious. And I did. And it was great. She thought it was hilarious. Right? You should have somebody. Like, I want to tell her about things. But quite frankly, the first person, not about something that happens in the Walmart like that, right? But the first person you should want to talk to about things happening in your life, about things going on, is who? God. If your first reaction is not to pray to God about it, your priorities aren't straight. Not trying to be mean, but that's just how it goes. Because here's the thing, I love my wife to death. She is an incredible woman. She cannot fix most of the issues or problems that arise. She can't. It's nothing against her. She's not God. I should want to go and talk to the one who actually can do something about things. I should want to go to the one who is God. You should be devoted to prayer. And I am going to say this. Every single person, not just in this room, in this building, because there's also a number of adults uh, out there with kids, could be more devoted to prayer than you are now. We could be. We should be. Let God be your first. Not your second, or your third, or your fourth. Let God be your first. I don't mean you have to spend every waking moment, you know, head bowed in prayer with a hood over your head. No, 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 no. I am saying, though, that your first reaction should be, I want to talk to God about this. I want to talk to him. Be devoted to it. Seek God. Seek after him. Jesus promised he was sending the Spirit. The disciples and the other hundred and some still sought God over it. Number two, God keeps his word. God keeps his word. So... I've said before, and I'll say it again now, right? Peter is one of my favorite, if not my favorite, person in Scripture, right? We're going to put aside somebody like Jesus and God, right? My favorite fallen human, we'll put it that way, in Scripture. I resonate with Peter. He's impulsive. He's angry. He wants to get stuff done, yet also somehow procrastinate on everything. He's like, he is me. I get him. I understand Peter. And as I read this story, I go, or this account, boy, I could picture myself doing this. Verse 15 begins, at this time, Peter stood up and started talking. Peter went, I'll take charge of this situation right here. I know what I am doing. I'll stand up. Think of all that Peter's been through in the past already, right? In the past three years, he has been told he's the rock upon which God will build the church, been called Satan, denied Jesus, had Jesus go after him, had the biggest catch in his job of his life, and still walked away, and then watched his friend and Savior ascend into heaven. This man has seen more in the past three years than any of us will see in our entire lives. And he stands up and he goes, let me say something. First off, he talks about the fact that Scripture has to be fulfilled. And this is where I want to say, trust what God says. Judas, or somebody, we know it as Judas, but somebody was going to betray Jesus. It had to be done. It ended up being Judas Iscariot. Somebody pointed this out to me yesterday while I was in the car. My, my, my best friend, Drucker. 
Does anybody in here, and I, I, this might go horribly wrong, does anybody in here know somebody personally named Judas? I didn't think so. It's like, he, it, this is not theological, okay? But it's like the name Judas has been forever cursed. I've never, I've never even heard of somebody else named Judas. Just a food for thought thing that I went, huh, I've never thought about that, but you're right. Never known, never met, never read about another Judas outside of the poor, the poor other disciple named Judas, right? Every time you read about him in scripture, they have to put a qualifier on him that he's like, not the betrayer, not Judas Iscariot, all that kind of stuff. They're like, listen, this isn't the same guy. Just food for thought. If you ever meet a Judas, let me know because I want to know because I'm curious. Okay. Scripture said somebody was going to betray Jesus and then also said that the homestead would be desolate. And then also said somebody has to take this man's place. All of that came to pass. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this point. But the point that Peter is making is God does what he says. God does what he says. You can trust him. It might not happen in the time frame or in the way. In fact, it probably won't happen in the time frame or the way you think it's going to. But it will happen. These words are written by David. David lived a thousand years before Jesus. More than. It took a thousand plus years for these words to come to pass. But they did eventually. You can trust what God says in your life. Now let's talk a little bit about the crux of this. Number three on your note sheets there, Peter. And there's an ellipsis after it because he doesn't make a mistake here, but he does jump the gun a little bit. I, I didn't write this down on here, but is the office of apostle still around today? No. Why is that? No. No. There is one defining factor that makes you an apostle. We're all supposed to be disciples. An apostle had to witness Jesus in person. That hasn't happened for like 2,000 years. Okay? So we're not apostles. We are disciples. And there is a difference in the word. So that's one, and one of the things that we, we draw to talk about that is, Peter himself goes, it has to be somebody who witnessed Jesus the ministry of Jesus. In the following verses, 21 uh, through 22, we read that. They had to experience the ministry of Jesus in order to be an apostle. So he steps up and he goes, Jesus chose 12, that means 12 must be the number. We gotta get somebody else. We've got 120 people here. There's gotta be somebody good amongst this group. Now let me ask you this. Who did God have designs on being the 12th apostle after Judas betrayed? Paul, who was at this point Saul. God already had the 12th apostle in mind. Now, did he know that this was going to happen? Of course he did. He knows everything. But God already had the next apostle picked out. And perhaps, I won't say the best, but the most influential apostle there was ever going to be. Paul wrote two-thirds of this testament. 
the book of Acts, once we get through the first couple chapters, is going to be taken up almost entirely with what Paul does. Jesus has it figured, he's got it figured out already, but Peter, God bless him, has to stand up and go, I can figure this one out. This is not to attack Matthias or um, um, uh, Joseph. I'm sure they were great men. They weren't who God originally chose. Be very careful trying to tell God what you think the plan should be. You don't have the plan. You have maybe a single step in the plan. What was it that they were told to do in the upper room? Wait, and they will receive power. Pray about it, exactly. They were not told to find another apostle, were they? They were told to wait on God. Peter doesn't like to wait. Peter is impulsive and impatient, and Peter went, well, we're sitting up here. We might as well pick somebody else. Don't get impulsive with God. Wait on him. Now, as soon as they were told to go, right, we're going to read a little bit later here, uh, and when we get into chapter 2, Peter preaches a sermon in just a few days that literally thousands of people are going to get saved. When God said go, there was nobody better at going than Peter. He went. The problem was he would always start way too soon. The starter's pistol hadn't gone off yet, and he'd be running already. Don't get impulsive with God. I understand some of you in here have probably prayed for something for years, waiting for God to act, and it hasn't happened yet. Don't get impulsive. Wait on what God is asking for. Wait on him. Go. As soon as he says go, you better go. But wait, wait, wait while he tells you to wait. He might be raising somebody else up. He might be working in a certain area that you don't know anything about. The question becomes, are you going to be impulsive or are you going to have faith? That's where it comes down to. Are you going to have faith that God will take care of every situation exactly as he would like it done, or are you going to get impulsive and try to do it for God? Because the fact of the matter is that God uses us in spite of us, not because of us. There are a myriad of highly talented people in this room and in this church right now. God does not use you because of that. He uses you because he wants to. And quite frankly, too often, he has to use us in spite of us. He called Paul in spite of what Peter did. And you'll notice when we read a little bit further in Acts, Peter and Paul didn't get along all that well at the beginning. They didn't. I'm going to guess that Peter didn't get along with a lot of people very well, quite frankly. So I don't think that's as much a knock on him or Paul as it is just Peter is probably not a great guy to get along with. God uses us in spite of us. And I'm sure he used Matthias and Joseph for things. Not written down in scripture, but he used them because they followed after him. But he said, I've got something better. God has a plan, trust it. God has a plan, trust it. God had a plan to raise up a man who at this point was 
going to be killing Christians. Not a single person in that room of the 120 was going to pick that man to become perhaps the greatest apostle ever. Nobody would have picked him. When he meets Jesus, right, we're going to talk about it in a, in a few weeks. When he meets Jesus, what is he going to do? Kill other Christians. That's what he's on his way to do. But Jesus goes, God goes, I know better. And I've got a plan. And I've put a call on him. And I'm going to use him mightily. I'm going to use him to do things you could only dream of. Poor Peter misses the point here again. He's an incredible apostle. If history is correct, he dies upside, crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified the same way as his Savior. Because he said, I'm not good enough to be crucified that way. If history serves correctly. He will become a man who saves, whose preaching saves thousands of people. He will become a man who is the head of the church. Paul was never actually the head of the church. He was a missionary. Peter would become the head of the church. He was going to do great things for God. But just like he's done for his entire life, he jumps the gun. Let that be an encouragement to you. Not to jump the gun as well, but to realize that when we jump the gun, or when we might wait a little bit too long, which you could never accuse Peter of, God is still working, and God is still in control of the situation. I didn't write these on your note sheets, but a couple practical things to take away and start kind of doing. I want to encourage you, if you have a good friend or a spouse, be intentional about spending some time in prayer with them. I, it doesn't have to be for 10 hours a day or anything like that, but maybe when you get up in the morning, before you go to bed at night, if you go and get coffee with the same person, you know, four times a week, whatever. Be intentional. Spend some time in prayer with them. Praying for the same things. Be intentional about it. Because I promise you, if you are not intentional and make a plan and make it happen, it won't. It won't. You can't go, all right, God, if you give me the opportunity. God doesn't work like that. God says, okay, here's all the opportunity. And you're going, all right, where's God if you give me the opportunity? If you will sit the person down in front of me and have them say, I'd like to pray over this, I will do it, God. What a sacrifice. Be intentional. Be praying with somebody. The second thing, in your prayer life, whether with this person or outside of it, be asking God, what is it he wants you to be doing right now? He told the disciples, the apostles, go up, pray, and wait. Most of them did it. Peter dropped the ball a little bit. But that's what God told them he wanted them to be doing then. Eventually, he's going to spread them out. He said, eventually, you will go into all the world. Paul makes it all the way to Spain during one of his missionary journeys. 
Eventually, they're going to go into the entire known world, and eventually the gospel will spread over the entire globe. But they needed to wait first. Ask God what he wants you to do right now. Some of you in here, he might be saying, thank you for asking. I've been telling you to go for two years. Chop, chop, let's go. I don't mean go overseas or something like that, right? Go just means do what God is saying. Some of you who might be saying, thank God you asked. You've been going and going and going, and I've been begging you to wait on me. Will you take a breath and step back for a second? Be intentional about your prayer with somebody else, praying for the same things. And one of those things be praying for is, what is it you have for me? What is it you want for me? What is it you have for me to do right now? If it's wait, God, give me the patience to wait. I know we've said before, don't pray for patience. I get it. But here it is. If you don't know why you don't pray for patience, it's because there's only one way to get patience. You have to go through things that require you to be patient. You can't go, okay, God, I want to be patient. And he'll just go, oh, good. Sprinkle a little dust over you and now you're patient. That's not how it works. Patience comes because you have to endure things that make you impatient. But God, if you want me to wait, help me to wait. And if you want me to go, give me the courage and the faith to go. Would you pray with me? Father, as we continue our walk through Acts, uh, and actually next week we're going to take another break because it's Family Sunday and we're going to talk about a couple of parables. Um, I just ask that... You would help us to learn from Peter and the rest of the disciples, the apostles there in the upper room, that God is so good that you tell us what to do and you want us to do that, that you have a plan. Help us to trust your plan, whatever it is. Help us to put our faith in you and trust what your plan is. I also pray that you would help us to be devoted to prayer, to be devoted to spending time with you and to finding somebody else or a small group of people that we can be praying with. Father, I want to pray right now as well over VBS that you would bless uh, today as they're doing the first day of VBS downstairs, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then next Sunday as we wrap it up. I pray that you would bless that time, that you would use it incredibly, not just in the lives of the kids, but first off and foremost there, but in the lives of every adult and helper that's going to be there. We're trusting you with all of it, Father. We praise you, and it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen.